Welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We bring you free-flowing conversations with top thought leaders in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Sit back, relax, listen and enjoy as we share ideas and discuss topics that are important, timely, and we hope will transform the nonprofit world. Hello, and welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. This is episode 41, and it was recorded on Wednesday, June 11, 2020. I'm Vincent Duckworth. I'm a fundraiser and a partner with Vitreo Group. We are a national agency focused on bold leadership and transformative fundraising. This is our eighth episode of 2020. We were joined by Cindy Wagman, president and founder of The Good Partnership, Suzanne Choi, dance artist and co-artistic director of Motion Dance, and Rakesh Lakani, executive director of Future Possibilities for Kids. Our topic, small nonprofits, why working so closely to your mission can be both hugely rewarding and highly challenging. There is a joy in being close to your mission, in doing important work, and in working on a small team. There is also heartache when you lose out to larger, better funded and better marketed charities. And there is burnout associated with being the one person wearing all the hats. I am not an expert in what works and what doesn't work in a small organization, but our three guests today are. Join us as we hear about this and more on Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. It's time for the Brain Trust Philanthropy podcast. Welcome to episode 41 of Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. This is our eighth episode of 2020. Our topic, small nonprofits. Why working so close to your mission can be both hugely rewarding and highly challenging. We've invited three terrific professionals, each amazing in their own right, all of whom work with and advise small nonprofits. They're excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. Let's get started. First, joining us from Atlantic Canada, we have Suzanne Choi. Suzanne is a dance artist and co-artistic director of Motion Dance in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Welcome to the podcast, Suzanne. Thanks. Happy to be here. As you will hear later in this podcast, today's show was inspired by my friend and fellow fundraiser, Cindy Wagman, who has her own very popular podcast. When Cindy approached me with a proposed collaboration, I asked her who she'd like to join us. Suzanne and our next guest, Rakesh, were at the top of her list. I'd not met Suzanne before, but we did have a chance to say hello during a brief pre-show call a few days ago. We're going to hear from Suzanne in a few minutes about what's like to work as a leader in a small organization. But for right now, Suzanne, you are both a dancer and the co-artistic director of a dance company. I love dance, and so do many of our listeners. I'm wondering if you can share with us what you love about dance and why you chose to make it your career. Your career was such a beautiful art form. Hmm. I was thinking about that, how much there's so many things to love about dance. And... Um, for me, I think there's a couple of things. I think the word connection is probably the word that comes to mind. Uh, so connection to the body. Uh, as I get throughout my career, I've gotten to know different levels and complexities of the body, and I just find that so fascinating. And it's not just a, a psychological understanding, but it's like an emotional and physical and mental, you know, sort of all of the things that exist in the body. Uh, you don't have to – there's so much creativity within the body. And then it, the connection to movement and the way it feels and connecting to other people as you move, either dancing with them or the audience connection, all of that kind of creates a lens through which I experience the world. So, um, And dance is just such a beautiful lens for that. Well, thanks for that. I, I, do, I do think of dance as a language, so I'm glad that you're able to share with us that, that you know, the connection, the complexities, and the movement. So that's great. Thank you so much, Suzanne, for sharing that with us. Next, joining us from Markham, Ontario, we have Rakesh, Rakesh Lakani. Rakesh is the Executive Director of Future Possibilities for Kids. Future Possibilities for Kids provides programs for children from underserved Canadian communities, inspiring them to reach higher, achieve more, and learn how to create their own possibilities. Rakesh has been on a podcast or two before, but this is his first visit to Brain Trust Philanthropy. Welcome, Rakesh. Thanks for, uh, for having me here. It's an honor. Like Suzanne, Rakesh was suggested by Cindy as a panelist for today's show. Unlike Suzanne, Rakesh and I have met before. We are both involved in AFP and our paths continue to cross, often when I'm in AFP in Toronto at the AFP Toronto Congress or other activities. Rakesh, you have twice been a mentor for the AFP Fellowship in Inclusion and Philanthropy. Before we hear from you on what it's like to lead with a small team, 
Can you share with our listening audience a quick overview of this incredible program and your experiences with it? Yes, absolutely. It's, this is a program that was looking to how we build capacity and continue to represent uh, the diversity in our communities uh, via giving opportunities for emerging fundraising leaders. So in this, uh, in this program, I had the opportunity to work with two amazing folks and we got to talk about, um, of course, tangible fundraising uh, initiatives and how we go about doing some of those, but also some of the barriers and challenges being faced when you're representing a diverse community in our in our sector in our profession, so it was great to be able to work with them and and talk about uh, talk have some real conversations and and also of course I don't necessarily believe in um, the mentor uh, mentee relationship I believe in mentor mentor so I also was able to learn a lot in terms of the, the the perspective that that they also brought and that I was able to learn from so it was a very rewarding experience and a great opportunity for uh, for dozens of, of, of individuals who are up and coming in, in our sector and, and giving some uh, some important opportunities. Thanks for that, Rakesh. I think it's in its third third iteration, the third class right now of of uh, of fellows. And I know Emma Luzzi in uh, the Toronto area is a big leader in there. So we're very grateful for um, her and her team, but also for all the folks like yourself who've been mentors for the program. So thank you for that, Rakesh. Finally. We are, we, are, we are actually all here today. Uh, uh, the, the reason we're all here today, uh, also joining us from Toronto or Toronto area with Cindy Wagman. Cindy is the president and founder of The Good Partnership. The Good Partnership's tagline is helping small nonprofits do more with less. I love this. Cindy is a much bigger deal in the podcast world than I am. I, in partnership with Charity Village, Cindy has her own highly ranked podcast called The Small Nonprofit. It is a really good prod podcast. We recommend giving it a listen. We will put a link in our show notes. As you'll hear later in the podcast, Cindy really is the reason we are all here today. For right now, though, Cindy, welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy Podcast. I'm truly honored to have you join us. Thank you so much for having me and the other panelists here. We're delighted to be part of it. That's great. Thanks, Cindy. Um, Cindy, as I mentioned, you have a fantastic podcast. I love your approachable and authentic style. I love your guests. I love your topics. You and I have talked podcast a few times. I, I'm going to say we were both a little bit of a podcast nerds. Um, before we hear from you on your expertise with small nonprofits, can you share with our audience what it is about podcasting that you love and where you think the form is going? Yeah, well, you you said this and I want to repeat it, uh, you use the word authentic. And I really believe that podcasting is such an authentic way to connect with your audience. There is a big difference between reading something and hearing someone's voice in your ear uh, over and over and over again. And so I actually feel like I've been able to really connect with our audience. Uh, and when they meet me in person, they feel like they know me and that makes it so delightful for me to get to know them uh, in return. And I also love that we're able to have rich, real conversations about things that are important to our sector. Um, and that we're having, I'm, I get the privilege of, of speaking with so many incredible guests that have incredible knowledge that I get to be witness to. So I love, I love podcasting. Where it's going, I think, um, so many different places. I, one of the things that you and I have talked about is that our podcasts uh, are in the same sector, but very different from each other. And that's the beauty of it is that it's finding the right podcast format or what works for, for you. And again, going back to the authenticity. So I think that uh, people will continue to be creative and show up authentically. And, and that's where we'll see the best uh, growth and impact. Yes. When we first talked, I remember we talked about how um, the richness, even though we were both in the same sector, the richness of our podcast really came up. Um, I noticed that Suzanne dropped off for a minute, but she's back because she's that great at IT. Welcome back, Suzanne. That was amazing. Um, we didn't say anything about you. We just finished off with, uh, with, with Cindy talking about uh, what, what turned on about podcasts. How many have you done, Cindy? Do you, do you, do you have a sense? I, I tried to count them up. Yeah. Do you know? I think we just published about, I think, 77 or 78. Okay, so I'm a real slouch. This is number 41, right? And so uh, uh, Cindy, Cindy's done so many. 
Uh, well, we um, pub we publish weekly for most of the year, so yeah, we're exactly. we're very busy with it. Yeah. Do you do you record them all in one day? Like, do you do a full day of recording? I don't. Re yeah. So not all day, but what I do is I actually only record on Thursdays. So uh, I give people access to book. Our guests can just book time in my schedule on a Thursday, and so sometimes I'll do three or four back to back. And sometimes I'll have one that Thursday, but right now it's the spring and we're actually half recorded for this fall season. So I do try and stay ahead of, ahead of the game. Yeah, that's great. Well, because we do a panel, it's a little harder for us to have everybody sort of climb in, but, uh, but we do try that too. I was looking at your guests and I've listened to a number of them, but I, I know um, like the people that jump off the page for me and there's tons. So I've missed a ton, but David Kravichuk, Leah Eustace, Paul Nazareth a couple times, Marianne Kerr, Marina Glogovach, Emma Luzzi, like we just talked about, Jen Love. And I don't know how you did it, but you got Voulé. I know. <laughs> and you know what? I just asked. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> I if... asked. I don't know if everybody on the... Everyone on the call probably know, Everyone on our call right now might know who he is, but Suzanne's shaking her head. For our listening audience, just for anybody who's who's not sure who Voulé is. Why don't you just mention a little bit about that if you're able to? Yeah, so Vu is, I would say, one of the most impressive thought leaders and action takers in our sector. Um, he's very vocal about a lot of the um, not great practices or policies that exist in in the sector, whether it's around um, anti-racism and anti-oppression or uh, relationships with funders, um, equity, you know, he was one of the, from what I've seen, one of the first people to talk about posting salaries with jobs. So he's, to me, just such an incredible leader. And literally, I was so honored when he said yes, but I all I had to do was ask. I think uh, he's incredibly generous in having these conversations and, um, you know, wanting to reach a, a wide audience. So uh, he started uh, his blog, which I think is now Nonprofit AF. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I was going to say it if you didn't. It's called Nonprofit AF, which is often because you can really delineate the, the generations when someone goes, what's the AF mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, and if you ask him, he won't say what we think it means. Uh, yeah. I think he has a very polite version yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, but if you, if you are uh, of a generation, uh, I think I'm on the cusp of that generation. I'm a little old for it, but I certainly still understand the reference. Yeah. Well, if you read his, his blog, you'll see that he, he's very much in the AF vein. Um, he, he, he doesn't shy away from stuff. That's great. I'm so glad um, all of your guests have given great. We're thrilled to have you. So thank you for that, Cindy, for sharing uh, your love of podcasting and your work with all of us. Okay, let's get started. Thank you all for joining us on this, our 41st podcast. Our topic, small nonprofits, why working so close to your mission can be both hugely rewarding and highly challenging. But before we go there, I need to share how we got here, as in right here all of us on this podcast today. It began last year when Cindy, well, late last year, Cindy sent me a note introducing herself and wondering if I might consider collaborating with her on a podcast project. I called her back. We talked. I was and remain seriously impressed with Cindy, with her podcast, and with her company. Cindy is an all-around impressive human. We agreed to show up on each other's podcasts and to co-promote across our networks. Cindy has already had me on her podcast, and I believe it's going to be posted sometime in the fall fall of 2020. Mm -hmm. And now Cindy with a few of her clients, our guests today, our friends uh, are on this podcast. I do love this podcast community. Um, okay. So on to today's topic, small nonprofits, why working so close to your mission can be both highly rewarding and highly challenging. Being closer to your mission, doing important work, working with a tight knit team and the variety of the work are just a few of the many rewards of working in a small nonprofit. In contrast, Funding competition from larger, better resourced, and better marketed charities being spread too thin, and the overall workload are just a few of the challenges of working in a non small nonprofit. I am not an expert in what works and doesn't work in small organizations, but our guests today are. Cindy, let's start with you. What are the biggest rewards and challenges in working with a small nonprofit? And if you like, why 
are the traditional approaches to consulting unsuited for many small nonprofits? Mm-hmm. So I started my career and spent many years in small and mid-sized nonprofits. And so I experienced very early on some of those challenges that you referenced. Um, one of the biggest deficits I see in our sector, but especially with small nonprofits, is the lack of capacity building opportunities um, and professional development. And so what I see are organizations where everyone is a reluctant fundraiser. So they have to fundraise, but they really don't like to, which really means if you try to do anything you don't like, you will know that we just don't do it. And so I have always fe- always felt this um, deficit in our in the fundraising community of really speaking to the realities of uh, people who are not fundraisers by choice um, and how we mobilize the resources around small nonprofits. The other really big challenge I see is technology, uh, and I think Rakesh would probably actually both Suzanne and Rakesh uh, will have experienced this in their organizations where. Um, you know, A, it's, it's really hard to invest in technology, um, and it's hard to adapt to technology, and it's hard to implement change across organizations. So what we see happen uh, is organizations where one person will spend almost a full-time job manipulating spreadsheets. But if the work is done properly, that, that can be changed so that it's, you know, five or ten hours a week. And so uh, that, I think, is something that is holding small organizations back or some of the challenges. For example, I have clients right now where their database, their donor database, is sitting on a server in their office and they can't access it because everyone has has had to work from home during COVID. So these are really big challenges if you can't communicate with your donors in a time of crisis. Um, But the rewards are many. And I, I've also worked in very large institutions. And when I started consulting, the number one North Star for me was absolutely small organizations. I love how close to the cause they are. I feel like that is where most of the real social change is happening. Um, I feel like grassroots movements, um, are really where we see innovation and change and excitement. Uh, I've worked, we work with a lot of uh, arts and cultural organizations and social justice organizations. And there's a a nimbleness and passion that I haven't experienced in the large organizations. And your third, the third part of your question, how that affects consulting. When I started consulting, I noticed that I would give all my clients advice, really good advice. And then when I would meet with them a couple weeks later, nothing would happen. They, haven't, they hadn't done any of their homework uh, or taken any action. And so what we've, how we've evolved as a company has, to, has focused a lot on implementation because there's not a lack of ideas in our sector. And there's not a lot of new ideas most of the information exists out there. It's how we put that information into action where things start to fall apart. So our focus uh, has been on implementation um, and focusing and teaching around implementation so that people can actually get work done. Thanks so much for that setup, Cindy. And uh, I just knocked my speaker right over, which is why I probably did all this <laughs> or my microphone. Right <laughs> Um, oh, you were doing a dance. Yeah, I was. I was going to thank you for that, Suzanne. I appreciate that you thought I was doing a dance. Um, and I want to actually turn to you, Suzanne, in just a second uh, to give some feedback to that. And I'll, then I'll turn to you, Rakesh, if that's okay. But uh, just a quick note, Cindy. Um, I I hear you about the technology issues. Um, there are some very large nonprofits during COVID who had their database on their server at their office and could not access them, including at least two major universities in this country. Yeah. (laughs) They had people who (laughs) could not access donor records to give them a call to say, how are you doing? 
So I appreciate that yeah. it's probably uh, more, there's a lot more small nonprofits in this country than there are big nonprofits and it's a big issue. And then it's harder for them to solve, but they're not the only ones that had that problem. <laughs> Suzanne, what do you want to talk about in terms of the rewards or, or, or challenges that you've seen? I know you're doing, I think you're doing a professional development program in Atlantic Canada right now that Cindy's part of. So if you, you know, feel free to, to go anywhere you like as, as, as a leader of an organization, what do you find are your biggest challenges or rewards? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're, well, we're definitely in the same, uh, we're in that boat of having our, um, our database, the computer that the administrator works with normally isn't even in the office anymore because she just came down and drove down and picked it up one day to be able to get our database. But luckily uh, we had half the information as Cindy knows, like online. So we were able to access some information, but anyway, so we're definitely, you say everything Cindy and you were saying, I'm like, yep, that's us. Yep. That's us. <laughs> so hmm, yeah, challenges for sure. It's great. I think uh, I am working with Cindy in a mentorship program, which is amazing. Something I've been asking for since the day I arrived because uh, uh, sort of adding on to some of the things Cindy said, uh, yeah, I was hired, like I was trained as a, as a dance artist um, into, and then into running an organization has been a huge learning curve. Uh, so there's been so many areas that need development, but so little focus on that kind of development. It's really just like, well, you just figure it out as you go or just follow what the other people did. So the, all for the past, I've been with the company now for eight years and all eight years, I'm like, I need fundraising help. I need, but finding it was really hard. And so finally, I, I really feel grateful for strategic arts, arts management and Barbara Richmond who initiated this program because it's so important. And uh, a lot of things resonate with me. I think, um, I think one of the challenges is having so many things to do and it's, it's uh, trying to figure out what to put your energy on having varying degrees of skill in each area, um, wearing so many different hats. And it's like, that's an issue, but then the energy it takes to switch. So it's by the time I get to the part of the day that's like, oh, I should think, or the week about fundraising, then I just like my brain has completely gone out the window. Um, so working with uh, Cindy has really helped. It's uh, a lot of it, I, I say often, she's like my, um, my not-for-profit therapist. Because a lot of it is like having somebody who really understands what you're going through is like already like 50% of the help and to like talk through all the things that, you know, you've been wondering about and thinking about and, you know, um, over, over the days and years. And I feel like the first several sessions at the beginning was really just like counseling, not-for-profit counseling to get through a lot of those mind blocks. And uh, Cindy focuses a lot of, focused a lot of the workshop at the beginning about mind uh, mind training and performance training. So I think for me that really resonated because it was just my own mind really that was being in the way of making. Suzanne, you're a little bit frozen. And so Suzanne, can you hear me? You're, you, you froze yeah. there for a second. So if, if, um, if you're able to just uh, encapsulate those last few uh, seconds of what you said, um, that would be great. I'm sorry to make you do that. No problem. What was the last thing that you heard? Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, it's, I'm hard, it's hard to say. Uh, it, it's only been the last sort of 30 seconds. So, okay. I'll stop my video. It might help. I read something about that. Okay. Um, I guess I would, the last thing I was talking about was consultants, um, and some challenges we had. Yeah. Um, was, uh, we would, we would get mad sometimes cause we would, have a consultant and they would have great ideas but then as soon as they left or we'd be like okay so are you gonna do the work or are we gonna do the work and they'd be like well we're consulting you to do the work but then I was like okay that's it I can't do it like there just wasn't enough bridge between the ideas and, and implementation and like helping us with the getting it done part so I think that's been a really big um, eye-opener is just how much like the coaching and the like support is really what's needed in all of it and just helping to straighten things out because things in a not-for-profit always feel like a, a tornado. Yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I mean, this isn't a show about consulting per se, but it does have some of those aspects to us. And that's what Cindy, when I first started talking to Cindy, that's when the light bulb for me really went on that she's in that sweet spot of implementation 
I think that's really why uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, folks are really working um, so closely with her. Before I turn it over to Rakesh, Suzanne, um, for our listening audience, can you share with us um, uh, the uh, the enormous staff roster that you have there and all of the executive <laughs> leaders that you have around you? And um, uh, like, how big is your staff at, at, at Motion? We are three. What? So, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. We, yeah. we give each other multiple titles, which is funny. Like, uh, there's myself and the other co-artistic director, but essentially we're also the managers and general managers. So I call her the chief financial officer and sure. head of outreach education, and I call myself head of fundraising. And right. so uh, we make all these subcategories. And then we have one administrative associate who just became full-time in the past couple of years. So it's definitely a lean operation. Right. In terms of well, like I said, I just wanted people to, you know, I'm sure anyone who's worked in a small nonprofit will get um, that your your staff size was not large. But I just want everyone to understand that when, when, we're, when we're talking about workload and many hats, Rakesh, we set a nice table for you to weigh in on. Um, did you want to tag on any of the comments that we talked about or add your own experiences and tell us a little bit about your organization as well, if you don't mind? Sure, I'll start with that. So with, with your future possibilities for kids, I was actually a volunteer for eight years before I started as the EB just about six years ago, just celebrated six years there. So uh, coming from United Way, a much larger organization, I've seen, uh, um, I see what it's like to be in, in a, a relatively larger organization, a smaller one. What we're doing is we're working with uh, young kids in underserved communities, um, ages nine to 12, in a very critical time in their lives to uh, provide opportunities to uh, have you connected with a, a caring adult volunteer. They speak regularly and it's using a, a coaching uh, philosophy to put, get, give, have the kid lead a community service project, so not someone telling them what to do. And the, the, the kids are remarkable in terms of what they will uh, achieve and ideate and see for a better community and, and, and go do something. So, you know, the park I go to is always, uh, it's unsafe because there's pieces of glass or there's something, uh, there's, it, it's, not, it's not clean and people don't want to go there. So I'm going to organize a local park cleanup. Or there's, there's bullying happening at my school. I'm going to run a campaign at my school uh, to, to, to uh, combat bullying by raising awareness about how you can be kind to others. So these are 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old kids, and it makes me feel bad. What was I doing when I was that age sometimes? But uh, it's quite remarkable. So that's really the core of what we're doing is getting kids involved in their community as a platform to build their confidence and leadership. So, so in terms of the scope, uh, you know, I was coming from a, an organization where uh, we had built our from my, my past role United Way. Our the fundraising team uh, was uh, was was eight people, and now moving to an organization when I first started here, which had four people in the whole staff. So it was definitely a change, and I, I noticed a lot of things that were different and I also I mean because just my mindset and approach to things I also noticed a lot of opportunities that I'm like this is some really amazing things that I can see really um uh, being things we can leverage and, and and take care of and do that we might not have been able to do and it's it's uh it's not to criticize larger organizations either they're doing a lot of great work but I saw some things that uh, were uniquely different and well suited for uh for, for being done in a small organized smaller organization and I mean, when I say smaller, we have grown in the last six years. We now have eight staff from four, so we have doubled our, our team. So that's helped. And also brought with it a range of other uh, uh, things around communications and technology. So yes, we work with Cindy as well. It's been a huge help. And now I'm very much of the mindset of, you know, outsource, outsource, outsource wherever you can instead of always trying to build in-house capacity. But I, I agree with what Cindy said in terms of, uh, I agree with Suzanne and Cindy. With Suzanne on the, the challenges of wearing many hats and having to switch gears all the time. But I also thrive on that. I'm a bit of a squirrel in that, that way. I like the, the, to be sort of in, in a lot of places at once. And, um, and with, with, with what Cindy said around uh, the technology and the implementation side, and so that's why um, there's, there's kind of a balance here that the beautiful part is the word Cindy used was nimble. I, I, one time I remember distinctly that we had an idea for a campaign for volunteer recruitment. From the time we had the first conversation, if we want to have a bunch of kids pointing into the camera saying, we want you to be our kid coach, which was like the Uncle Sam, you know, I want you to join the Army. And it was like, let's do that. And by the time we talked about it, so it was on the front page of our website, was less than a week and a half. So, I mean, that is, there was, you know, it was like, okay, let me, let's, let's talk to finance, check. Let, there's no cost. Let's talk to marketing, check. I literally looked in the mirror and we had a team meeting. It was four of us. It's like, what does everybody think? So there's this kind of quickness and adaptiveness that I think while 
right now, especially uh, with everything going on in the world, um, there are a lot of small organizations that are struggling from a financial standpoint. From an adaptiveness standpoint, though, I'm seeing some very, very creative things happening um, with, with small organizations that are able to, because they've been used to adapting quickly and being so resourceful, I'm seeing them doing a lot of, of, of quite incredible things uh, at, this, at this challenging time. So for me, I, I really love it. I wouldn't have been here. I wouldn't be here for six years if I didn't love what I was doing. But I also see, um, you know, uh, other things, uh, an opportunity down the road for for us as an organization. And and I'm I'm so glad to have champions. Like uh, I'm glad that we have the space here to talk about this and have champions for the small organizations. As I do believe there's a lot of value here, and uh, and I think we can work. We feel in a different space than the big organizations. We're all there's there's room for all of us. I just glad to celebrate what what's uh, what smaller organizations are doing. That's awesome, Rakesh. I, um, before I sort of open it up for some other conversations, you told us a little bit about your organization and the number of people and the fact that you've doubled your staff. Of course, we want to know how you did that, but um, we'll hear more about that in a few minutes. Um, and also, um, you mentioned opportunities, and one of them you actually you, you made real by talking about the fact that you, know, you had a conversation with marketing and held up a chair and marketing said yes. And, and so the opportunity for speed of things in small organizations is obvious. To, to, to me at least, and to many. And of course, larger nonprofits have quite the bureaucracy, and I mean that in the kindest way, where you have to engage a lot of stakeholders uh, to get things moving. And I think the biggest one I haven't had experience with would be like at a, a large university, right? Like uh, where there's a lot of irons moving, they're just moving really slowly towards the center. Um, whereas in a small organization, if you tried to do that, you go crazy because every, you know, you just, you, you execute more. And so that's great. Um, so I would like to hear more about opportunities uh, that, that exist within small nonprofits and not just, you know, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, Rakesh, it could be for everybody. And then sometime I want to circle back. Are you, did you have a fundraising background before you took on a leadership role or did that like, I, I, I like when did the fundraising begin and when did the leadership begin? Did one lead to the other or how did that go? Cause not often that we have a leader of an organization who's also a fundraiser in my experience. Sure. Like an uh, definitely we can open a fundraiser. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. You're, you're, so we can definitely open up the opportunities discussion. I'd love to hear from the others as well. Uh, I mean, for, for me, I see opportunities as right now, for example, uh, the ability to, uh, to adapt programming to serve different needs and then tap into some of the funding that's, uh, that's out there for that. And with the end goal of being in service to the community, I mean, that's really what it's all about. Uh, but also looking at your own uh, funding and say, what, what do we, what assets do we have? What are the needs in the community? And, and, uh, there's a lot of, there are some opportunities there. And I think, I think I'm actually seeing a shift in a lot of donors who are saying, uh, and again, I'm not necessarily agreeing with the, with the particular viewpoint around, uh, about this, but they're like, I want to work with a, with a small organization because I want to have a closer tie to the impact. So I'm like, if that's what you're looking for, absolutely, we can, we can work with you on that. And I think that people uh, then get a, a kind of a unique experience with us that they might not get elsewhere. Um, so, so me personally, yes, I am focused on that experience for donors too, because uh, before this uh, last six years, I was uh, leading the fundraising at United Way Europe region before they merged uh, in, the, in the fundraising side. So uh, I came into this role and I, I, I was first, I was a fundraising ED for a long time. And then I've become now an ED who fundraises. Uh, it is something that I think, as, uh, as Cindy said, we do have some folks that are doing it and not wanting to um, do. Obviously, I have a bit of a bias towards fundraising, so it's not it's never something that leaves uh, sort of my, my radar. It's definitely something that's front and center in terms of being able to do what we've done. And that is how we've been able, we've been able to grow our staff because we've been able to secure uh, amazing support from, from the community around us and really tap into that. Uh, but it takes a lot of work and effort and still probably the, like quite, a, quite a lot of my job. The majority of it is fundraising relationship building. Thank you for that, Rakesh. Cindy, I saw you taking notes. I see you've taken yourself off mute, so you have the floor. Tell us what you're thinking. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I wanted to add to what Rakesh said about opportunities, and he and I have had this conversation before around the opportunities as it relates to fundraising. I think that there are such... Uh, great opportunities to really build relationships with your donors at all levels that you just don't have in a large institution. So the donors who are giving you $50 or $100, if you can reach out and make them feel really special about their giving, you can build those relationships. And some of the challenges have this unique silver lining. So, you know, with Suzanne's organization, for example, they don't have a great database, but they know all their donors. And so, you know, as they grow, obviously you won't be able to know 
all of them by name. But, you know, we know that stewardship is such a huge part of fundraising. Uh, and to have those relationships and to make people feel amazing about a donation of any size to a small organization is much easier for, for a small charity than a, than a large one. So I just wanted to add that opportunity because I think it's quite significant. I think it is too. And it's one that, um, that fundraisers in larger organizations uh, often feel quite a bit of discomfort about. Uh, you know, because they, 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 just in terms of time and energy, they get pushed up the, up the ladder to focus on these other ones just because there's only so many hours in the day. And so they don't get as close to their donors. And so they, they don't feel like they've gone where they need to go. Um, other opportunities, or I can shift us to a question that I have too, which is um, working with your board. Um, and and the, I wanted to have the conversation, not because I think it's unique to, non, to small nonprofits, but I'd like to hear from people who know small nonprofit boards on what uh, what what are their opportunities and challenges with their boards? How how much they uh, care about or don't care about or abdicate um, or take on the fundraising? So I'd be curious um, to go there. Maybe Suzanne, I don't want to put you on the spot if you're not ready, but if you would like to talk about your your board, um, that would be great. Um, uh, how, what do they expect happens around fundraising with you? Hmm. Well. If I think more broadly about the board in terms of what the benefit of a small nonprofit working on a board for a small nonprofit is um, a sense that the board feels very connected to the mission on a very personal level. Some of our board members came in um, not that connected, but pretty soon being able to work with the leadership who are also the artists making the work, that connection goes really deep. And I've found like we've been able to really rely on the board for like big issues and big problems. And there's been a lot of challenges um, lately and, and the past couple of years. So we've really had to rely on them as, as people and uh, for them to rely on us. There's a really deep relationship there, which is, um, I'm not sure if that exists. I've only ever worked in really small and smaller than this situations, <laughs> independent dance artists kind of, grassroots so but I do feel that I that's one thing I appreciate is again kind of going back to that connection um, everyone's there for a reason and a lot of our board members stay on because they feel very connected um, in terms of fundraising I think um, it can be challenging for different boards and for our board um, I think uh, it's, it's making a connect trying to help them make a connection between their care for the organization and their personal relationship to it as that as the seed for fundraising. Um, we're thinking a lot more about it as uh, these days about um, more like relationship development and sharing their passion. Cause I think there is a, well, I had it as well, like a misconception that fundraising is asking for money um, as opposed to put, bringing people together and, and sharing, sharing an interest and a passion. So, so that's the work that we're doing right now is making that, connection for the board members in the same connection that we're making with ourselves that it's not not different than um than sort of sharing your passion so that's that's, that's great nice. suzanne thank thank you for that i see rakesh has turned his my his uh, his mute off and i'll get to you in just a second rakesh um uh, uh suzanne um do, do a lot of your board members go to your performances Yes. Yeah. They're all very involved in our performances for sure. That's a kind of main requirement. Well, I'm glad that you talk about that because I, I have worked with organizations in culture where some board members, um, I, I, I actually have worked with some theaters where some board members don't like theater. And I wonder uh, what happened to that. Uh, so I'm so glad to hear that your board members are actually excited about your mission. So that's great. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Rakesh, did you want to talk a little bit about boards and your experiences there? I mean, you've worked with United Way Cabinets. You now have a, a board of directors, and you probably have lots of other experience. You're on the AFP board of directors in, in the greater Toronto area. So, you know, what's your thoughts around your boards or boards in general in the small nonprofit space? Mm -hmm. I, I think Suzanne said something really important there, which is that fundraising isn't asking for money. Uh, I do think that boards play an important role uh, in terms of uh, what fundraising looks like. I think we have to be, you know, another another kind of layer to this is that we have to be mindful of uh, with boards of directors uh, that we're um, 
being where we're having the fundraising be done in a way that's inclusive. So number one, giving a range of opportunities to support and rather than saying, you know, here's the only way that you can do this. So almost like giving a menu for, for board members to be able to support and say, here's 10 things you can do, do any two or three of these things and it's going to support the organization. And even in terms of their, uh, their personal giving and saying it's, it's not necessarily this amount we want you to give, but uh, what, what's a gift that's meaningful for you or one of your, you know, your, your main gifts to a charity, because, um, you know, we, we want to be having boards that, and increasingly so uh, representing the communities that we're serving and we have to be mindful of that. But I think that doesn't take away from the opportunity to be a, a passion, a passionate advocate and a champion for the organization. So I always give my board the example that if, you know, if you just came out to visit, uh, you asked Suzanne about going to the performances, uh, it's a requirement for our board members to within their first few months, go to something that, uh, related to our programming and actually be there and see it and talk to kids and volunteers and it, that just opens them up if they haven't already been involved because many have before and when you when you do that it really unlocks a lot in them but then it's like when you're going to a, you know you're seeing people for dinner the next saturday and they ask oh how was your week how's it how's it go oh fine how was yours don't say that instead say actually i went to this uh programming day for a board that i've just joined or a board that i sit on and here's what i learned can i share a little bit more with you it's sometimes it's sometimes as simple as that it's just keeping it in mind and who might be interested in hearing and yes there are opportunities to physically you know tangibly connect with with leads and opportunities but there's there's so many levels to, to that support and you know our, our board at fpk is absolutely phenomenal uh it was an evolution over time and now a few years in uh, we're the place where everyone understands there's clarity around the role and they have tangible tools to support um and i think this same thing at uh, United Way and AFP, the board is very supportive. Uh, it's not always the case, and I think that does require education in terms of the board's role in that, uh, the importance of it, and, and, uh, and it's even less, it's just about the dollar amount. Honestly, it's more about just the fact that your inner circle, the people who are the, the staff, and they, like, so the, inner, the staff is one circle, but the inner circle of the board, it's very difficult to say that our board is not supporting when we're going out there publicly asking. So I think uh, it's not a, a matter of the amount, it's the fact that they've shown that symbol of support and saying, I believe in this enough to, to put something in. So huge, huge importance around that. And, and, and but some education is still required, I think. Thanks for that, Rakesh. Cindy, you've heard a couple of your friends and colleagues and clients talk here about boards. What are your thoughts? What's been your experience or what, what, are, you, what are you thinking? Yeah, so there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind when it comes to boards around fundraising in particular. I would say... Um, not in the position to comment around governance issues, but uh, what I see with a lot of small organizations, I mentioned reluctant fundraisers, and I think that is especially true of board members. Um, and so we often see, going back to what Suzanne said, this, this idea of like fundraising is, you know, what's our elevator pitch? And, and I need a pitch deck, and we just need to go and ask companies because that's easier and it feels a little safer. And so all of these things actually mask these internal beliefs that we have about fundraising. Uh, and it comes across as, we, you know, a lot of people call it icky or like begging. And we've actually been working in this space long enough that I've come up with these um, fundraising belief archetypes uh, that I've seen as sort of these categories under which people feel really reluctant to fundraise. Um, and so that is really especially prominent with boards. We have a quiz, I'll, I'll mention it uh, at the end, where people can find their archetype and an alter ego, sort of a more powerful approach to fundraising. But what it comes down to is what Suzanne mentioned, which is it's community building, it's relationship building, it's sharing your passion. But what happens is these small organizations, they look to the big ones and they try copy what they see. And so they see that there's a give or get policy or they see that they have a million dollar gala or they see all these other things and they either they think, well, how do we do that? Uh, how do we copy them? Or, you know, how do we or that's just not us. That doesn't feel comfortable. We don't want to be there. And so we don't want to fundraise. So there's a lot of work work around uncovering some of the myths around what fundraising actually is uh, and understanding that small organizations will have a different fundraising approach to fundraising than some of the large ones. You know, my favorite answer when it comes to fundraising is it depends. And I want organizations to stop comparing themselves to what they see because we 
only see the tip of the iceberg. We really don't see what goes on behind the scenes. And so instead, to build your capacity and build those relationships so that your fundraising can be aligned and authentic with your organization. So that's sort of the, the crux of, I think, board fundraising is we are, we're, most of the time, there's not really an understanding of what fundraising is. And so we make a lot of assumptions and we get frozen in those assumptions. Thank you. And if you think I'm going to let you get away without sharing a couple of the archetypes on the podcast, you're sadly mistaken. So think about those for a second. <laughs> um, well, I just say, if we could all <laughs> yeah. somehow stamp out the give, get, and get off language, we would all be better off. Uh, it is not helpful, and it really yeah. has derailed a lot of boards, large, small, and medium, in my view. So I'm glad that we talked about that. And Rakesh, I was glad to hear that you, uh, the idea that your board's involved is important. The idea that they do think about making a gift that's personal to them is important, but it's not some sort of, here's the bar, you know, and then go get the money and then get off. That idea is not what I heard in your board. So Cindy, um, before I turn it back over to Suzanne and Rakesh to have some other um, comments, I want to hear, um, I, I know that, uh, is it the reluctant fundraiser document you're talking about? Is that the one with the archetypes? Yeah. Different? yeah. That's such a great resource. I, I feel like it's, is it on the AFP Toronto website or where is it? Is it? I saw it somewhere. Anyway, I'll put a link in the show notes and you were going to talk about it later, but give us some examples of archetypes, just a couple. What do you mean? And alter egos, yeah. what does that mean? Yeah. So one is the perfectionist, which it doesn't mean you're a perfectionist, generally speaking. But what happens is in life, we kind of get trained by doing repetitive things over and over and we get really good at things. So if you're a board member, maybe you're recruited to the board because you're a lawyer. So you're a really good lawyer. You know that well and that's the role you're, you're playing. But for so many people, we're never taught to fundraise. And right now during COVID, it's been really interesting for me because I'm uh, really involved in teaching my kids how to read. And I see the process of learning very deeply, and it's so repetitive. And for some reason, we expect our board members to just come on board and go out and fundraise. And we've never trained them. And not just like a little bit of training. It takes years and years and years of work. And so for people who are the perfectionist, they don't want to do things they're not good at. And that's most of us. We don't want to do things that uh, if, we're really, if we're really used to doing things that we're good at and we're comfortable, it's hard to get started on something that, that we're not good at. So that's one of the archetypes. And we turn that over and say, okay, well, if we understand that we have to practice to make perfect, um, how do we break it down into small things that we can do uh, and learn by doing? Because that's really the only way we're going to get better. And so overcoming some of the, the barriers uh, or mental roadblocks that we have there uh, another really common one, because as I said, we work a lot with social justice-based organizations, is our beliefs around money and dichotomies and power. And that's a really big uh, issue for organizations when we think of fundraising as limited to a certain type of quote-unquote philanthropist or giving, and we, we assign an identity of who can give and who can't. And so we actually reframe that as um, giving as, a, as a, an act of, uh, like as a powerful act that anyone can do and it gives them ownership uh, over the organization. And so if um, it's really important for us as fundraisers to engage not just the people we think have big money, but in fact our communities around us. And uh, my community knows I've, I actually wrote a thesis on feminist fundraising when I was in university all about that, all about trying to actually deconstruct some of the more traditional um, power dynamics in fundraising through community fundraising. So those are two examples. <laughs> Thank you. I, I couldn't let it go. I couldn't let it go when you said archetypes. And we, of course, will put that in the show notes. There's a lot in what you talked about. Uh, yeah. we, we could do a whole series of podcasts um, on, on this topic, I have no doubt. Um, I know that it was interesting. You, you were brave enough to, to say to me, um, why don't you talk about naming on our, my small nonprofit, <laughs> which is kind of like, you know, that right away people go, oh, that's the big money. Uh, and you and I talked about why that isn't always the case. Um, so that's great. But before we leave today, before, before we close out today, I want to give 
uh, all of us an opportunity to, is there something that you really wanted to get onto the podcast? I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk about whatever you want later, but right now, is there, is there, is there one thing that you want to say about small nonprofits that, I mean, there's probably a lot that we didn't actually cover. What's the, the next big thing that we should make sure that our listening audience, if they're listening to this one program and want to get more, what would, what would you want them to, to hear or, or talk about? Anybody want to throw something out? Something that they, they hope that we would talk about today that we didn't? Unmute yourself if that's the case. Nobody's doing that. Looks like we covered it all. No, we didn't, of course. It's a big field. C- well, no, I, I, I can't leave you with no response there. So, Well, I, I wasn't um, going to no, let I, you. I, I was going to put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I'll step up to the plate. Um, no, I do. I think we covered a lot. Um, again, and I think mindset is so foundational. What I love about what Rakesh has done with his organization is with a fundraising first approach. And we've seen the incredible growth that they've had. Um, and so I, and I'll, I'll, the one thing I will say is it's fundraising professionals. And that is, you know, what I am. I've spent my entire career as a fundraiser. Um, I've always felt that we've left out small organizations from the conversation And I think that does our sector a huge disservice. Over 80% of charities in Canada are considered small. You know, they operate with less than half a million dollars annually. Um, So that's sort of, uh, I guess, a bigger, bigger conversation. But I do think that it really is on us as fundraising professionals to make sure that we elevate the whole profession, understanding that most people who are fundraising are not trained to do so. That's a great comment. And in fact, it would be interesting to have um, a conversation, and we don't have time for it today, but a conversation about um, uh, uh, what we're leaving out for the small nonprofit. And I don't mean necessarily the, the broader fabric of society, but I mean the fundraising profession, right? Um, I learned early in my career that too often, you know, I was working in a university, so it's easy to talk about numbers that are just not the same as they are in other nonprofits. And you forget that, you know, when you're talking to a donor who's going to make a $50,000 gift and you say that, you say that out loud and the non- small nonprofit goes, what? <laughs> who, who does that? You know, and, 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 yeah. So, and, and, you, and, you know, that was good learning for me early in my career. And I still make those mistakes. You know, it's a little bit, anything to do with inclusion uh, always has those problems when you have the fundraisers of privilege. I know you wanted to offer some words, uh, Rakesh, and then I'm going to help us close out the show. So Rakesh, and I know you're off uh, mute as well, Suzanne, so I'll come back to you. Rakesh? Yes, well, definitely, it, it is good to have champions like Cindy and the Good Partnership for the smaller organizations out there. As, we, as she said, there are the majority of them. And I think it's just uh, to let people who might be listening who are from small organizations to say, you know, it is, it is a lot of internal work we need to do to, to find that balance between all the work that needs to be done and all the hats we need to wear and also, you know, achieving our mission. So it's just to say, you know, keep doing that good work. It is important. You are doing wonderful, amazing things, even if you don't always hear that. Uh, I know that to be true. And also, I think for anyone else, you know, let's, let's share and see what we can learn from each other. I think there's a lot of things that I've learned from looking at other organizations, and I think there's a lot to be learned from us. So let's keep the lines open and as Cindy said, support each other, uh, elevate everybody, because that is, that is our number one uh, goal is to encourage the spirit of philanthropy above everything else. So I think that's really, uh, really critical in the fundraising side of things. And so I just appreciate the space, but also um, let's, 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 let's champion some of the work that you might not be, uh, be hearing about. Thanks, Rakesh. Um, Suzanne, I know she's just unmuted. Did you want to add something mm-hmm. to the commentary? Please do. Sure. Well, I, uh, when you asked the question about something, I know we won't have time to dig into it, but the thing that I was thinking about between all of us is the question of what keeps you going. Because mm-hmm. I think I often think about the under-resourced aspects of not-for-profits, but there's an incredible resource, which is what keeps you going. And I think I, it can exist in all size organizations, but I think it's something to really note that often you see that a lot of people stay with not-for-profits and small ones for, for a long time. And I've been here for a long time, eight years, and my co-artistic director as well for more than that, nine years. So, you know, there's that, and it relates to fundraising, the fact that it's having to have some, a real meaningful or spiritual connection to what you're doing is really core. And whether you're working for a big organization or a small one, is that that is what keeps me going for sure. And, and then when I talk to our really close donors, I realize that's what keeps them going too. 
is this really a sense of uh, meaning and purpose. Um, so I just wanted to add that. And, uh, and I'm sure because you're professional fundraisers, you know the, the definition of philanthropy being love of humankind. I was told this by our largest major donor in the city. Wow. I sat down with him and I realized that, yeah, he, he also serves on a lot of fundraising boards because he's a huge philanthropist. So I, I guess in a way, like I was scared to go to that meeting. But when I was there, I realized we have such a deep connection in this shared philanthropic desire, which is just the love of humankind. So that is an excellent uh, way to help lead us out of this podcast. Thank you for that, Suzanne. And I have to say, and I know this is a privileged comment, but when I worked in larger charities before I was consultant, I was oftentimes a little bit jealous of the closeness to mission that some of my colleagues who are working in social justice or in smaller companies. Um, and so I, I understand that it's harder in the larger organizations to find that closeness to passion. And so that is a big advantage. So I appreciate that. Rakesh, I'm going to give you a chance to have, uh, for, um, thank you all of you for coming. Rakesh, Cindy, Suzanne, it's been awesome. And just before we close out, I want to give each of you an opportunity to tell us, you know, where people can reach you or what's going on or what are you thinking about. Um, uh, keep in mind that this show will come out uh, in, uh, in, in July. So if you talk about something in June that people need to think about, they'll have to be time travelers to get there. So Rakesh, what do you want people to hear or know as we leave this podcast? Well, first of all, thank you for uh, for this space, Vincent and the Betrayal team, and uh, and Cindy for uh, inviting us to do a lot of work together. And it's uh, it's great to have this space. So for, that's the first thing. Um, I think for for me, it's just you know definitely check out the work we're doing. www.fpcanada.org is our website. You can see what we're up to, and uh, we're very very proud of our work. We know it's a lot of hard work, and it's our, it's an amazing team that we have that sort of makes it all happen. And I, I'm very very proud of our team, and and I owe everything we owe everything to the engine that really makes this all happen. So I definitely encourage you to check out our website um, I think one thing we're also encouraging people to do is consider your own volunteerism even if you're in the, the space you know we all volunteer for a number of causes we're looking for uh, 400 volunteers for this fall to be kid coaches talking to kids half an hour a week on the phone for a few months and it's a great opportunity to learn and get involved in a different way I, I, I volunteer for other causes and I think it's a great way to to uh, to spread that uh, that love we all have for for doing good if we have that space and capacity. But uh, other than that, just if anyone ever wants to connect with me and talk about how we sort of create disruption in the sector in a positive way, I'm always up, always up for those conversations. Thanks, Rakesh. I, um, I know in some of the pre-work, um, you have been very outspoken about volunteering, and I'm so glad you brought that up at the end. Um, and also, we're so thrilled you joined us today. So thanks for those closing comments. Suzanne, back to you. I know you had some very nice closing comments in a way a few seconds ago, but I want to give you an opportunity if you want to tell people where they can reach you or what's going on with your company or anything else that you want the audience to hear. So over to you, Suzanne. Sure. I may take you up for cash on that uh, conversation about disruption. That's a lot on our minds these days as the world is realizing all the cracks that are present in every part of our society. So that's a lot in our conversations right now. So I'll look forward to reaching out to you about that. Um, uh, uh, yeah, our company is motiondance.com. We have a brand new website from just last year. So that was, a, that was a, so it's the word ocean with an M in front, motion. It's a play on the words of being close to the ocean and being in motion. So you can imagine the amount of uh, us puns that we get in, our, in all of our reviews. But, uh, you know, in this time, we're, we're, it's challenging to say because we are really having to shift a lot of our programming. Um, so we have things on the horizon, but we're waiting to know if they can happen. But the thing we do have going is um, we just finished up a new series of uh, free dance classes that are meant for anybody. And we're going to continue them going forward. So we're taking a break now, but stay tuned. It's called Moving with Motion. And uh, if you look on our Facebook or Instagram or website and you're interested, you could get in contact with us. And they're really, they used to be um, at the public library uh, and we had great, we've been doing them for five years. So we moved them, that one we sure have, for sure have moved online and are continuing. So uh, if you like to dance in your living room, <laughs> you can join us in that, uh, in that activity. Thank you for having me and really lovely to meet everybody. 
Thanks so much, Suzanne. Now, uh, I know you're in Halifax and you talked a little bit earlier about, uh, you know, a big philanthropist that was talking to you, told you, reminded you about what philanthropy meant as a word. Um, I visited Halifax a number of times. It is an amazing philanthropic city um, with some real leaders. Uh, I remember meeting the founder of Pier 21 um, and, uh, and spending time with her. It was just, it was a big part of my, my philanthropic life actually to spend that time. So appreciate that. And uh, just a little mea culpa, when I was doing the pre-show with Suzanne, um, for some reason, the word motion and the show Lost, which if you remember, the airline was called, I think, Motionic or something, or Oceanic or something. Uh, I actually <laughs> asked Suzanne if their company was called Motionic. I don't know where that came from. A little bit of <laughs> later when I went, oh yeah, that was a reference to Lost, Vincent you doofus. Um, anyway, <laughs> so thank you, Suzanne, for being here. Cindy, you get the last word. What do you want uh, people to know or hear? Uh, point them in the things that they should be thinking about um, or what they, they should be talking to and about and where they can reach you. Great. Well, first, I obviously want to thank Suzanne and Rakesh for joining me here. Uh, and everyone else who is doing this work in small organizations, Suzanne mentioned it, like what keeps us going? It's certainly not the pay. <laughs> and uh, it's a lot of work. I find often it's very undervalued and underappreciated. Um, but it really is the reason why me and my entire team get up every day to do our work is because we're so inspired by the people around us. So thank you both. Um, I also want to give a shout out to my colleague Anya, who is leading our work with Rakesh's team. Um, I didn't get a chance to mention her before, but she leads all of our systems and technology work and is incredible. Um, finally, of course, you can find me and our uh, work at the Small Nonprofit Podcast, as we mentioned before. Uh, and the com my company is The Good Partnership. You can find us at thegoodpartnership.com. And if you want to take the fundraising archetype quiz, it's just thegoodpartnership.com slash quiz. Uh, we're on social media and all those other good things as The Good Partnership. And uh, please do connect. Love having these conversations. Thank you, Cindy. And we all owe you a debt of gratitude for making this actually this idea come to life. And I really appreciate you reached out. With that, our gift of another brain trust philanthropy powered by Vitreo has been committed. Well, that's about it for this episode of Brain Trust Philanthropy. I hope you'll join us next month for our ninth episode of this crazy year when we will be joined by Juniper Glass, Tanya Rumble, and Derek Delouche. Until then, take care, stay safe, and stay sane. We look forward to talking with you soon. Brain Trust Philanthropy is powered by Vitreo and is produced by Nicole Nardi, Katja Asselmanning, and me, Vincent Duckworth. Brain Trust Philanthropy is produced in beautiful downtown Calgary, Alberta. Follow our show and engage with fellow listeners on Twitter at Vitreo Group. That's at sign V-I-T-R-E-O Group. You can listen and subscribe to Brain Trust Philanthropy on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or by visiting our website, vitreogroup.ca. Wishing all of you success in your mission, peace in your lives, and hope in your hearts. I'm Vincent Duckworth.